I'm sure the children would rather stay for our new series on Ephesians, and you're welcome to do that if you'd rather stay with me. I'm fun too. Um, but isn't it great that they get such great teaching uh, even as we open up the Word of God? I'm so excited about this series in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is a letter by the Apostle Paul that was circulated uh, to the churches in his day, and we're going to look at this opening 14 verses. And after a couple verses to introduce himself, um, verses 3 through 14 is basically one sentence in the original of an outburst of praise. Uh, and it is like a psalm of praise. It's kind of like the beginning overture of everything else that goes on in this mighty book uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to read to you the first 14 verses uh, of this love letter <clears throat> from God to his church. So here now. Um, the word of our living God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the very riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Let's pray that we take in the riches of that single sentence. Let us pray. Oh God, we bow ourselves. We don't deserve to be talked to this way. Um, you have unfolded these blessings to us and you were eager that we enter into the full possession of them. So we ask God that you would take this truth and that you would break it open to our hearts, feed us with this living truth, uh, intercept our unbelief, uh, awaken us from any slumber in our souls. And Lord, we pray for this whole series that your word would truly be the measure that shapes our lives we ask that you would bring forth fruit from this in our individual and in our corporate church life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Paul begins this by saying, Paul, uh, an, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Uh, he must have been amazed. He says, he basically is saying he did not choose this. Uh, to be an apostle, it just takes the Greek word of one who was sent. He was not part of the original 12th. Uh, but he says, I'm an apostle because God chose me and assigned me. God gave me this assignment. He didn't say, I'm an apostle because I wanted to, you know, like a kid might say, when I grew up, I want to be a professional baseball player or I want to be a, a doctor or this. Paul had none of this in his mind. In fact, uh, Paul was on the road persecuting Christians because he viewed it as dishonoring to God and he was intercepted by the risen Christ uh, and he was transformed from one who was trying to exterminate the threat of Christianity uh, to one uh, who was 
fingering men, and not only men, but women. He was onto the fact that they were using women kind of as incognito weapons. Nobody ever thought women uh, were leaders in the ancient world, but in the, in the church, they were entrusted with the message of the gospel from Mary Magdalene, the tomb of Jesus, seeing him resurrected onward. And he says that he was consenting to have not only the men dragged away to prison, uh, sometimes put to death, as in the case of Stephen, but also the women. And now... Having met Jesus on Damascus Road, his whole life is constrained to advance what he formerly was trying to snuff out. And so he says, I, he's, he's gotta be amazed at this point. He says, I am now an emissary of Jesus Christ. Uh, and in fact, this, this word Christ Jesus, nobody went around calling Jesus Christ, like Christ is not his last name. Christ means that he is the Messiah. <laughs> And so that's why Paul puts this first. He says that um, he is an apostle of Christ Jesus, the Messiah, who is Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, and God gave him this assignment. And he says, to God's holy people in Ephesus. Uh, this simply is the same word uh, uh, as saint. And what it means is that if you are in Jesus Christ, the moment you believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, God calls you a holy person, not by your own behavior, but because you have been set apart for Jesus Christ. A saint is not something that happens after you've done a few miracles or lived a certain incredible life, um, but it, it was a gift that comes to you through Jesus. And it is, it is unfathomable. Uh, try to put saint in front of your name. I've actually, and I won't do this to you, but I've actually assigned people to greet one another and say, hello, my name is St. Bob, my name is St. Linda, my, my name is St. Donna, my name is St. Vic, whatever. And one time as that was being done, the congregation was pretty good. They were participating in that kind of exercise. And there was one man kind of retreated at the corner and he just had his hands folded like this and he looked ticked off uh, and he was not participating. Uh, and so somebody from the congregation, you know, kind of went over and just, hey, everybody's welcome here. You don't have to do those silly pastor things. You can just relax. Um, uh, and he says, you know, um, and, and, and so I'm just kind of frowning. He says, you know, and this church is even for non-believers too. Like we want you to be comfortable to explore who Jesus is. So, so don't worry about it. You know, you don't have to present. And he still was just, and, and, and then he and said, you know, just, just tell me your name. What's your name? And he said, my name's Bernard. <laughs> okay, thank you. That's your polite laughter. That's great. Thank you so much. <laughs> but, but Paul planted himself in Ephesus as having one foot in heaven sent from God to proclaim Jesus and another foot in this culture. Uh, and um, the book of Acts tells us a little bit about Paul's beginning in Ephesus. It is an amazing beginning because in, do you know that in two years they estimate that Paul got over two million people to hear the gospel? There was no internet. There was no other means to do it. You know how he did it? Well, first, Paul would go into the synagogue and he would reason from the scriptures. Anybody who thinks that Christians don't have two living brain cells, <laughs> um, he would reason from the scriptures eloquently and profoundly that Jesus was the Christ. And Paul did that to the point where he got so many people following Jesus, not rejecting Judaism, but saying, we have met the fulfillment of the ages. We are, as some say, we, we have seen our, our Messiah, his name is Jesus, that he got kicked out of the synagogue. And when he got kicked out of the synagogue, you think, okay, well, big reversal. That's too bad, Paul. You know what he did? He rented a hall. So we can read about it in Acts 19.8. If you want to throw that scripture up, it says, Paul, he entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But verse nine says, some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and he had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. He, he set up in a lecture hall, and he says, this went on for two years, and then look at this verse, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in that province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Now, we have a, a depiction of what the hall of Tyrannus looks like. Uh, if you want to throw up that image, it is a pretty impressive building that Paul rented. 
Um, and, and again, we, the ruins don't survive, but imagine Paul set up shop and every day, except you might say, uh, maybe he took a day off, but every day for two years, he is preaching the claims of Jesus and what it means to follow him. And do you know what? Wouldn't you love to know what he preached? Wouldn't you love to know the content of it? Wouldn't you love to know like even a Cliff's Note version? How did Paul take a culture and, and introduce them to who Jesus was? Guess what? That's the book of Ephesians. <laughs> the book of Ephesians. And the reason why, you can actually, I actually have a volume of series sermons that I've read through Ephesians. And it, the preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, took like eight years to preach through the book of Ephesians. And um, that's probably pretty on track <laughs> because uh, this book is like, it is condensed. Uh, it is condensed truth from God and it, it tells us um, God's incredible plan for Jesus Christ and his followers um, and our destiny upon this world. And, and um, the, the central verse that I'm gonna show you in, um, verse, in chapter one is verse 10. I think this is a verse that's often missed, but if you'll put up verse 10 of chapter one, um, it says that, that God predestined this, and, and this is the big cosmic place where God is, is positioned us. It says he has put into effect his purpose when the times reach their fulfillment. That means that when time is no more, to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. This, this word to bring unity to all things, you know, we, we live in a world that is just increasingly tribalized and fragmented. And people are just like canceling each other and separating off. Um, it, it's happening even in, in all kinds of academic areas in our country. And that word to bring things together is actually uh, a, a Greek word that means crown or head. And it means to bring everybody into relationship with one king, with, with one person, Jesus. And it says that this is God's plan. It was his plan in Genesis um, as he entrusted Adam and Eve in, in the garden in paradise. But even though that was blown aside through sin, he is now restoring that in Jesus Christ. And if we're gonna understand the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians is about God's plan to bring heaven to earth. Uh, heaven is not like this spiritualized, you know, vaporous type of existence that we go to and, you know, sit on a cloud and play a harp and sing praise songs and have a worship service that's every day, 24, you know, 24 hours a day or all, the, all our waking hours. That's not the biblical version of heaven. But heaven is the restoration of everything on this earth, all of its glories, all of its splendors. Do you think Longwood Gardens looks pretty now? Wait till you see the unfallen version of it. Wait till nobody needs to really tend it because you've got a perfect climate around it. And, and that is um, God's overall plan. So how do we get there? How do we participate in that plan? These first 14 verses tell us it takes the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Paul assigns each of them a, a unique role in bringing the first place that heaven has to invade this earth is our hearts. The first place that God has to implant the reign of Christ and a repaired relationship where we come together under one who is Jesus, our head, is our personal salvation. Uh, that's why everything we do as a church in CLC is seeking to to connect people to Jesus Christ, to connect ourselves to Jesus Christ. Um, that's the Great Commission. Um, Jesus gave us a Great Commission. He didn't give us a Great Admonition, you know, to go around correcting people. <laughs> See how popular that would be, right? <laughs> That's what so many people think about Christianity, right? Like, Christianity is an admonition. It's gonna, I, I, I can't wait to go to church and have the preacher tell me more things that I am not doing and more expectations I am not meeting. Isn't that why you couldn't wait to get here today? <laughs> No, Christianity is not the great admonition. It is the great commission that says you belong um, to Christ and that the way back is paved not with your own intentions and good works, but it is, it is paved by him. And so it begins in verse three. It's, he's, he begins with praise. <laughs> that, that's what our hearts long for, to give praise. And he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. These spiritual blessings are the most significant blessings. It's, again, in the heavenly places, it means that God implants heaven in us. I remember what someone once said of a person who just, they just brought an uplift into the room. Don't you love people like that? You want to be around them, they bring it up. And they said, um, and this person passed away, and they said, um, somebody said, they're in heaven now. And they said, no, no. You know what is so amazing about them? Heaven was in them before they were in heaven. And you know how that's true of you and me? It's when we're blessed with spiritual blessings from the heavenlies planted into us. Those, that, that heavenly blessing is a spiritual blessing, and it, it assumes that left to ourselves, we're fragmented, we're torn apart, we have no purpose, no hope, um, but it comes um, from the Father. And he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is overflowing with blessings that he lavishes upon us. I, I, I like the old definition a comedian gave of a father. He says, you know what a father is? A father is someone who has pictures of his children where his money used to be. A father is someone whose love is costly. And this father pours out blessings of the spirit. All of these spiritual blessings in the heavenlies come upon us and they descend first of all by giving us a new heart. A new heart that starts to feel the things of God and his kingdom where before we couldn't feel them anymore. I tell you the truth, it is better this morning. I proclaim a better gift to you. It is, if, if you really see with the eyes of your heart, uh, it is better to have a new heart than a new car. That new car is gonna depreciate as soon as you drive it off the lot. That new heart is a deposit that is going to grow and be renewed and be established more and more every day. It is better to have new life in your soul than to be restored in your youthfulness. We, we live in a world mad about youth. We, we live in a world, I, I don't know why, whether, like, is it the, um, somehow the, the internet intelligence that all of a sudden on my Facebook, um, I'm getting ads about how to look younger, be younger, um, take 10 years off my life. Uh, off my age, not my life, but 10 years, off my, 10 years off my age. I don't know why, it's targeting these things and I'm wondering, do they know something? I don't know, am I supposed to, am I gonna start caring about this stuff? Um, and, and, and I think it's, it's combated in that if I have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, Psalm 103 says, he renews our youth like the eagles so that we mount up with those, those renewed wings after molting. And so it says, God's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, verse four tells us when he started doing this. If you want to throw verse four up there, it says he, he blesses with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It says he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Now, there's some mystery here, but you know what this means? Do you know, do you know when God started to love you? You know when God put his picture in, your picture in his wallet? He did it before the foundation of this world. What he created was he was creating and he knew the generations to come. He knew all that and he was with, with you in mind. What this means, when did God start to love you? He started to love you before you did anything good. He continues to love you even though he knows all of the ways we get hung up and turned aside. Uh, and sometimes locked into habits. I'm so glad that Celebrate Recovery is starting this week for hurts and habits and hangups and a place of support and grace where a new testimony, a new song is given. Uh, God knew all that, and you know what? You know what he, he did? He loved us. <laughs> um, he says he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. It doesn't say he chose you and me because we were holy. He doesn't say he chose us because we were blameless, but he says, I want that person in my family and I'm gonna make them blameless. And you know what it says? It doesn't say blameless uh, you know, at a distance. It says blameless before the face of God. And, and it says that he chose us in him before the creation of the world. And if that isn't enough, verse five, if you put verse five up there, if you're wondering like, well, did, did Paul, what do you mean by chosen? He says, he predestined us for adoption to sonship. 
He, he when, again, when did God start to love us? And, and there's, there's some mystery here, um, but here's what I would say. I, I ask you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and I would say, why are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Why are you a believer and other people, maybe even in your own family, are not believers? If you start to give any answer to that that starts with yourself as the subject and say, well, I'm a believer, you know, um, there was a point in which uh, at least I thought I was the only believer in my family. I may have been wrong, but, but I thought, like, yeah, I, I'm a believer, and when I was a new believer, I thought, you know, yeah, I've always had a really sensitive heart to God. Yeah, you know, my sisters, mm, not so much. Mm. That does not, is not the source of anything. When, I, when we are thinking that way, when we think I'm a believer because I had, I had something, I, I, I had this sensitivity, um, I, I had this thirst and, and this ability to tune into who God is. No, no, no. If you are in Christ Jesus, it is because the Father intercepted you. I, I like what the great evangelist George Whitfield said. He said, go to the grammar school of faith and repentance before you go to the university of election and predestination. I know, it's mind-blowing. Uh, and I love what C.H. Spurgeon said, Charles Spurgeon said, who is also a great evangelist who loved the truth of God loving us first. He says, I believe in the doctrine of election because I am quite sure that if God had not chosen me, I would never have chosen him. And I am quite sure that God chose me before I was born or else he would have never chosen me after I was born. <laughs> it, it, this is the, the, why did God love us? Not because of anything in us, because, simply because he loved us. I heard a professor that I remember saying this, Ed Clowney, a great man of God uh, in seminary, and he said, look, he says, when the Bible asks the question, why did God love us? The only answer is, because he loved us. And then he said, and men? He was talking to mostly a male crowd in seminary. He says, when your wife says, why do you love me? Be very careful, it's a trap. Don't say, because you cook great things. Don't say because you're beautiful. Don't say because you're intelligent. Because all those things are like a transaction and a commodity. <laughs> but simply say, I, I love you because I, I love you. Everything else is a condition. Do you know the good news of the gospel is God loves us contrary to our conditions. God loves us on the conditionality of who he is. And he chose you and me to be more than what we are by nature to be holy, to be blameless in his sight. George MacDonald wrote this. He says, I would rather be what God chose to make me than the most glorious creature that I could ever think of for or ever to have been thought about. Think about that. I would rather be what God would choose to make me. And he chose to make us holy, glorious, blameless in his sight. And, and Ephesians is like that. Ephesians is, is gonna use this word heavenly in the heavenly places and the spiritual places for almost every category because it's trying to fill our expression of who God is with heaven come to earth. That theme comes again and again. Any version of Christianity that is just about your forgiveness of sins and then somehow um, getting in, squeaking into uh, some eternal palace is unworthy of Christianity. The Christianity, the real Christianity, the 16 ounces of meat to a pound Christianity is a Christianity that says, heaven came down and glory filled my soul and now I am part of that mission. I wanna see that happen in Wilmington through Urban Promise. I wanna see it happen to orphans in the Tamani home. I wanna see it happen in El Centro. I have a mission and I have a mission that encompasses the world in all of its hurting places. And I love what he says next. He says in verse five, it says, he predestined us you put verse five up here. What did he predestine us for? Through adoption to sonship. Now, some people might say, and you know, we're, we're in an age, fortunately, that is sensitive about a lot of misogyny and putting women on a lower rung. And you say, well, shouldn't the translation be, uh, he, he predestined us to adoption as sonship and daughtership? And, and here's the reality, is the Bible, um, through the culture that it was revealed in, um, when inheritances were given, the son and the firstborn son always got the double portion. If it said men are gonna get to be adopted as sons and women are gonna be adopted as daughters, you say, oh, same old thing then. You'd say, well, sons get the double inheritance, women get the, no, you know what it's saying? It's saying man or woman, whoever you are, God has given you the place of the firstborn son. He's given you the inheritance of Jesus and you are adopted. Do you realize what this says about God as father? 
It says that, you know, God could have done everything that he did and still got us to heaven and still forgiven us without adopting us into his family. You know, you could be a judge and you could, you could have somebody guilty of crimes and you could say, I forgive them, I pay their penalties, and they can go free. But this is the mind-blowing judge. This is the judge who looks at the criminal in the dock and says, they're guilty, I forgive them, I pay their penalty, and I also am adopting them into the, my family. They're coming to live at my house. Their names are gonna be on my beach house. They get my full inheritance and they get to split it all with all of my kids. That, that is the em embrace of the love of God. That's what adoption is. He would not have had to adopt this, but his, his grace just goes further and further. Um, we are not God's, we are God's beloved creatures, but we are not actually God's children until we come to place our faith in Jesus Christ. John 1 says, but to all who received Jesus, who believed on the name of Jesus, he gave the right to become the children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Uh, and this is what adoption means, the true welcome in the family. Again, uh, Harry Potter was a soundtrack in, in our family when our kids were growing up, and we, we just, the narrative of that can be so powerful. And if you know the narrative where the Dursleys Vernon, I mean the sorry figure of Vernon and Petunia, um, who Harry had to go live with under the stairwell. And he got taken into the Dursley's home. That's a picture of unadoption. Uh, he got taken into the Dursley's home, but not in their hearts. They were deeply alienated from Harry, but they allowed him to live there. Um, they only loved their son by nature, Dudley who was just a mess. He wasn't very well loved either. Um, but Vernon and Petunia, uh, they, they favored Dudley who shared their DNA, uh, but they often proved to be even very unloving to the child who shared their own DNA. You know, some churches are like that. <laughs> they love their own. They love those who look like them. They love those who act like them. They love those who are culturally, economically, educationally, even politically the same as them. But that is not the spirit of the gospel. I wanna to proclaim to you, that is the spirit of religion and that is the spirit that accused and crucified Jesus. The spirit of adoption is the spirit of taking someone all the way in. I love the way one parent expressed adoption. I'm looking forward, we're gonna celebrate Orphan Sunday here in November, Global Orphan Sunday, and here's, here's how uh, one proponent of adoption described it. They says, adoption is when the child grew in mommy's heart instead of her tummy. Adoption into the heart of the father is of the essence of Christianity. Do you believe that about yourself? I'm just asking for you. I, I tell you, I so often find myself having to save myself from living like I am an orphan spiritually. God's love is strong toward us. You, you know how I know that I'm living as an orphan spiritually? Here's what happens to me. I screw something up, I fail in some way, and my inward language that reveals I've been living like an orphan is, oh no, God is really mad at me. That's an orphan. But, but sometimes, and I really hope it's, in, it's on the increase, Sometimes I am living like the adopted child of God I am, and you know how I know that that's functioning and reigning in my life? When I screw up, and instead of saying, oh no, God is really mad, I say, I gotta call dad. <laughs> He's gonna help me through this mess. That's when I'm living like an adopted son. And, and, and it says that God chose us uh, before creation to be adopted in accordance with his pleasure and will. Do you know that part of the text? Just, just hang on the text, verse five. You just, we're just gonna, I'm gonna keep driving you into the text because this is so good. Nobody would make this stuff up and you won't believe it unless it comes to you in the authority of the word of God. God really actually does love us as his adopted children. Um, God's faithfulness does not depend upon us living up to something. Our performance uh, is not what gets God to love us. God has more grace than Bill Gates has money. Again and again, it says grace, grace, God's love, the kindness of his will. Um, God has more grace than anyone on this planet has anything. And, and 
He does all of this, and it says it three times, so that you and I would live to the praise of the glory of his grace. So that people, including, we're gonna see in chapter three, verse 10, it says the church was appointed to instruct the angels about the manifold wisdom of God. Do you know, without us, and I would dare say, without our screw-ups and without our hurts and hang-ups and habits and all that, without that, the angels would not be as smart about how glorious the love of God is. It says you and I are called to live to the praise of the glory of God's grace. Oh, how I want the people in Chester County to know that this is real Christianity. Christianity is not interested in straightening people up. And you know, you're gonna be a little bit frustrated if you have the version of Christianity that I think most Americans have and that we all lapse into. And that is that Christianity has come to lead us to change our behavior and straighten up, to live a different kind of morality. Because do you know that Ephesians, there is not a single command in Ephesians until you get to chapter four. You've gotta get through three long chapters because you know what? We are not trustworthy to receive some instruction until we get deeply planted in the fact that there is nothing we can do. We cannot bargain our way into God's love. We did nothing to earn it or deserve it. It is not some, there's not some fine print on it that has a condition. It is contrary to our conditions. We don't earn it, but we deserve the opposite of it, and it comes to us anyway. You know, and, and Ephesians, like it's like all of the letters of Paul. Romans is even worse. He takes 11 chapters before he gives us a single command <laughs> because he's not interested in behavior modification. Amen. You know, that's the knockoff Christianity. That's like the watches I used to buy in New York that looked like they were, you know, expensive watches, but they were not. You know, the Gucci bags, that kind of stuff they sell on the streets in New York, but pretty soon you know, like, those are not Gucci bags. Um, That's the knockoff version of Christianity. That's the bootleg version of Christianity. The real Christianity is that God has set his love upon us, and when it's proclaimed, like Paul did for two years in Tyrannus Hall, two million people heard it. Over two years, it shook the empire. Do you know, it shook things so, it shook things up in Ephesus so badly that it upended the whole um, economic system that was tied to idolatry. We're gonna look at that later, but it's like, it, it turned it upside down, and it turned it upside down without... Paul ever going to a non-believer and saying, hey, here's how you can live. But it's a no, here is the good news that has come. He proclaimed Jesus Christ. And then just look, he comes into Jesus' work. Oh man, we could be here all day. You wanna just stay with me all day? This is so good. And, and, he, and he, he gets to, to Jesus, he says, in Jesus we have redemption through his blood. You know, the most important two words in the Bible are in Jesus. And, and it is a spiritual relationship and union with Jesus that comes when you turn your life over to him, when you repent of your sins and turn to him. And he says, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. You know what redemption is? It's God getting us out of hock. Our souls were in hock. We had sold ourselves short. We had sold ourselves over to evil. And it says redemption is God basically going into the slave market and saying, I want that person back. And, and you know what the cost of it was? You can throw that, throw that verse up there, verse seven. It says, in him we have redemption. We were bought back. You were bought back to Jesus Christ, not by his excellent teaching, though he was the greatest teacher that ever lived. You were bought back to Jesus Christ, not by the perfect virtue of his life. You know, Jesus, he never sinned. He was never tainted by a bad motive, but that is not what redeemed you. Those things, if Jesus had simply come and preached perfectly and lived perfectly, you could not have been redeemed, neither could I. It says, in him we have redemption through what? What does our text say? In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our sins required a sacrifice and God was overjoyed to give it to us. Um, we are released from that debt because the debt has been paid so that, that when the accuser comes to us and our own hearts accuse us, we can say with the words of scripture, God is greater than my failures. God is greater than my lapses because the price has been paid. When Satan comes and says, you were a jerk to your wife or to your husband or whatever, you can say, I agree and I'm gonna repent. But Jesus paid the price for my jerkiness. So I'm set free and I can break with that attitude. I can break with that past through repentance. In Jesus, our new life is located in Jesus. 
And verse eight, it says that he lavished it on us. Have you had anyone lavish you with anything? God is the greatest lavisher. He is the lover of our souls. He lavishes his grace on us. And verse nine, he says, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure with he, which he purposed in Christ. And again, you know what that will is? It's your mission. He doesn't say just drink all these blessings up, but he says there's a purpose he has, and that's where we come to verse 10. What is your purpose? Verse 10, let's look at this. To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth in Christ. I think I missed this verse for years when I read Ephesians 1, but that all these spiritual blessings come to purpose me and place me as an ambassador who has one foot in, in heaven and another foot on earth that is seeking to bring the riches of, of heaven into every sphere, every broken sphere. And, and so it says in verse 11 again, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything according to in, in conformity with the purpose of his will. Wow, those are heavy words. Wow, those are, those are big God words, right? Um, but look at verse 12. He says, in order that we were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. We're supposed to live our lives so that people are impressed with God, not us. Again, my favorite rendition of the gospel, and I, I, I hope that drill this into our hearts, is, is the three points of Ray Ortland where he says, I am a complete idiot. That's point number one. People love to hear that, by the way. Try it. Try it on your kids. If you have teenagers, preach the gospel to them by talking about what an idiot you've been. Okay? They'll love it. Secondly, but get to the second point, my future is incredibly bright. Usually those two things don't go together. I'm a complete idiot. My future is incredibly bright. Being an idiot, having a bright future, there's no other place those two things get joined. But they do get joined together in Jesus because he pays the consequence for our past, our bad decisions, all of the ways we screw up, and the good news of the gospel is it's by grace, 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 heavenly blessings intercepting us, and so it says anyone, the third point of that is anyone can get in on this, anyone. Share that with people who don't know what Christianity is, it will blow their mind. Um, and so we live for the praise of his glory, and then verse 13. And here's a good balance to all this predestination, chosen, sovereignty of God verses, because it says, and you also were included in Christ when? It doesn't say, you were included in Christ when God predestined you before the foundation of the world. It doesn't say that, does it? It says, you were included in Christ when what? When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Somebody had to tell you, and then it says, not only did you hear it, but it says you were included when you believed. The, the two go together. The this, this sovereign predestinated choosing love of God is, is not in conflict with the fact that when you hear the gospel, you must repent and you must believe and you must receive Jesus Christ. Uh, the, the gates of heaven... They have, they have words on each side of it, a preacher once said. They said, you know, on the one side it says, um, whosoever will may come. That's the message of the gospel. Whosoever will may come. And then on the back of the gates it says, chosen from before the foundation of the world. And so when did the gospel, when does it become ours? Before the foundation of the world, in a way. Somebody says, Bob, when were you saved? I could say, before the foundation of the world. I could also say around 2,000 years ago when Christ atoned for every last one of my sins. And I can also say sometime in the late 1970s or 80s when I read a Rolling Stone magazine about the crucifixion of Jesus and the penny dropped. All of those are true. And, and so there's the necessity of hearing the gospel. That's why we have to share the gospel. And then there's the necessity of believing the gospel. And I like, I like, this is what Francis Schaeffer said about this truth of electing predestinating grace that like puts us, this is like an aerial view of our salvation, right? If you want to know what Chester County looks like, I suppose you ought to get in an air balloon or, or a little plane and, and see it from there, right? And Francis Schaeffer says this, he says, if God has chosen you, you're as good as in heaven now. If God has justified you, um, rest quietly, beloved, you will be in heaven 
Too often God's choosing is presented in such a cold theological fashion, but if the idea of predestination is presented in a way that decreases your assurance, like if you say, well, I don't know if I'm elect, I'm not sure I'm saved, then it's being presented wrongly. (laughs) The Bible teaches about God's choosing in order to give you the assurance of your salvation. So you argue the other way. You say, I've heard the gospel, I repent, I believe, therefore I, before the foundation of the world. (laughs) Uh, and, and so he says this, if you have accepted Jesus as your savior, you can be still. He'll carry you through the gates of glory. And, and that is the glory of, of Ephesians 1. It's saying if you are in Jesus Christ, if heaven has come down into you, then this is, this is the most important truth you can ever grapple with. Have you received the claims of Jesus Christ? Have you opened your heart to God? Is it real to you? Or is it just like a concept or a philosophy? You know, there are, there are these things, and I, I don't know how computer savvy you are, I'm not very, but I have learned there's a difference between the operating system and the app. You guys following me? The operating systems are like, you're either Apple Mac or you're Microsoft Windows, right? And that's the operating system, and, and your apps, um, you know, they can be Google, Instagram, Messenger, Netflix, TikTok, Zoom. <laughs> Those are your apps. And those apps only work if you have an operating system. The operating system is what dominates and then the operating system can take that app and to make it run. You know what, we often in Christianity wanna make the app the operating system. Uh, So we wanna make Instagram or TikTok or Zoom the operating system, but our operating system is the gospel that we have been freely loved, that there was nothing that we could do to earn or deserve it, that we've been intercepted by a love that is too incredible for us to ever get to the bottom of it. Um, That's why Paul says he preaches the fathomless riches of Jesus Christ. We're gonna see that in Ephesians. He says fathomless. There are not many things that are fathomless. Um, uh, But love intercepted this, and here's the reality. If you get it reversed, then you're going to live in condemnation and think that, you know, because you've, you're, you're gonna live out of the app instead of the operating system. And here's the reality. When we live out of the operating system, we have a confidence, we have an honesty, we have an authenticity that isn't selective based on how we're feeling about the week. In other words, when people ask you, how are you doing this week? If you're... If you're Affected by the world, you're tempted to answer that question based on how your app is running. And God would say in Ephesians chapter one, he'd say, no, base that on the operating system. How are you doing today? I am loved before the foundation of the world. I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. I have a new heart. It's better than a new car. Uh, I, I am being renewed inwardly. That's, that's better than this, the false advertising of the youth pills. Um, I, I have something that I cannot destroy, I did not create. It cannot ever, in the words of scripture, perish, spoil, or fade. There is no fine print. It's been given to me in Jesus Christ. And I have so much confidence in this that it, it gives me confidence even in the midst of my own relapses, my own failures, my own hurts, my own disappointments. It is irrepressible. I think that is, that is the word of Ephesians 1 I'd leave you with is if you know spiritual blessings in the heavenly places have come to you in Jesus Christ, it will make you an irrepressible force. If there is one word I would love for God to make true of me by his grace and to make true of us as a church, it would be irrepressible. Irrepressible by the spirit of God because we have received the heavenly blessings that have come to Christ and therefore maybe we'll become more like Paul when we start to talk we get overwhelmed and I think this, this imagine he's, he's in prison writing this letter and someone's taking it down in dictation and, and his first sentence is 14 verses long I, try to read it, I tried this week I tried to read it in one breath, I got as far as verse 6 I can hardly take it in that's real Christianity. This is the Christianity that, that God designed to fill us as individuals and allow us to be people wherever we live. He says, to the saints who are in Ephesus, you live in a place, but you also live in a realm, and God has invited you to live in the realm where God has poured out these blessings upon you. Which realm are you living in? Let's live in this realm. Let's make it known to the praise of the glory of his grace. Let's pray.
Oh God, again, we don't deserve to be talked to in this way. Remove the dimness of our hearts and our minds. Lord, I just pray the very next words in our passage is for this reason, ever since I heard of your faith. (laughs) I pray, I've not stopped praying that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. Lord, let us take it in. Enlighten our hearts to the riches of your glory and your goodness in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.
Now, as we make that our prayer and depart, I invite you to lift up your hearts to your God and receive this benediction. As those who've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ, may this blessing be received as well. Now, may the God of peace sanctify you, make you like Jesus through and through, body, soul, and spirit. May he do this. Faithful is the one who calls you, and he will bring it to pass through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Oh,